If I counted correctly, I think it was to be 35 days to Christmas. And I know this time of year can bring a lot of stress on us, with the many chores and preparations that need our attention. But I hope that all the stress and the busyness, that we don't forget our priorities and keep them straight and what's most important. Keeping Christ first, being thankful unto him for what he has done for us and for what he will continue to do in us. We'll be looking at a passage of scripture this morning, which is a letter from Paul to the church at Thessalonica. A little background on the letter. Paul was on his second missionary journey at this time, and he had his companions Silas and Timothy with him for most of the journey. Paul wrote this letter, most likely from Corinth, and it's dated around A.D. 51. The church was in the city of Thessalonica, which is located in the northern part, right off the Aegean Sea. It became the capital of Macedonia, which is this northern Greece region, around 168 B.C. It was a commercial hub under Roman rule. In Paul's day, the estimated population of the city was around 200,000, so it was not a small city. And Paul and his companions, while preaching there, the gospel to people there, they were being forced out of the city. And so their ministry was so effective that they were being forced out. They raised uh, people raising up against them and basically drove them out of the city. So Paul and his companions, as they left, they moved on to Berea, then on to Athens, and eventually in, on to Corinth. And that's from where Paul writes the letter back to them, after sending Timothy there to check on their well-being and getting a report back. So Paul writes this letter in concern for this church that he left. He wanted to encourage them, to comfort them in their persecution that was going on at the time, to correct some of their misunderstanding of prophetic events that would occur, and to exhort them into Christian living. And this last section is what we'll be concentrating on today a little bit. I'll be reading from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 22. We'll be concentrating on just a few verses from this section. And again, think of this as being the final instruction in this letter that Paul is writing to this church in, in his first letter to the church of Thessalonica. If you want to follow, it's on uh, page 1406 in the Pew Bible. So I'll be reading from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 22. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instructions, that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone, see that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always look out after what is good for one another and for all people. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good, abstain from every form of evil. May God bless the reading of his word. 
And why don't we go to the Lord in prayer before we get into the scriptures itself here. Father, speak to us today through your word. May we have eyes open to see and ears open to hear and give us minds ready to understand and hearts that are touched by your grace. Empower us by your Holy Spirit to do what your word instructs us to do for your glory and your glory alone. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We see here that Paul is wrapping up this letter to the church with a request and an exhortation to Christian living or Christian conduct. He seems to use bullet points to, in his instructions, these short brief statements that are concise instructions on how we are to treat those around us, to appreciate and love those who labor among us, to live peaceably with one another, to admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Do not pay back evil for evil, but look out for each other's good. And then there are three short commands that are God's will for each of us in Christ Jesus. Verses 16 through 18 say, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. Rejoice always. This is a command. It provides no ex exceptions at all. It lists no conditions. There are no qualifiers to it. The command is to rejoice always. The emphasis on the command is basically on the words always. Always at all times. There is an unceasing aspect to this command. An ongoing aspect. Now and always. You should always be in a state of rejoicing. Literally, the phrase would read, at all times, be rejoicing. Now, one of the, Charles Spurgeon had a quote, a very lengthy quote, on a comment on this verse. And I'm going to be quoting him. It's quite lengthy, so be patient with me. He starts out by saying, Rejoice always. There's no better way of translating our Lord's word than rejoicing in triumph and leaping for joy always. What if you are wretched, depressed, maligned, or despondent? Surely you are not to rejoice then. Yes, even then, you are to rejoice always, even in trials of any kind. Your dearest friend is dead. Rejoice always. Your sweet child is sick. The darling of your home will be taken. Rejoice always. Your business is ebbing and the prosperity is disappearing. You may be brought to poverty. Rejoice always. Your health is poor. Your lungs are weak. Your heart does not beat regularly and soon you may be sick unto death. Rejoice always. Shortly you'll be put off this tabernacle. Soon your eyes will close in death. Rejoice always. There is no limit to this exhortation. It is always in season. He says through fire, through water, through life, through death, rejoice always. End of quote. It's quite a mouthful. In the same way, John MacArthur uses this statement, references verse. 
He says, there is no event or circumstance that can occur in the life of a Christian, of any Christian, that should diminish the Christian's joy. Let me repeat that. There is no event or circumstances that can occur in the life of any Christian that should diminish the Christian's joy. Rejoice always. Habakkuk the prophet ended his prophecy concerning the destruction of Judah with these words. He says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail, and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet I will exalt the Lord, I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. No figs, no fruit, no olives, no harvest, no flocks, no cattle, no way of making a living, no way of having food to eat, and the nation will be brought to ruin, yet he will rejoice in the God of his salvation. And may we be able to do the same, always rejoice. Philippians 3, verse 1, Paul writes, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. A little further in Philippians, he writes in 4, 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. You've got to remember, Paul is writing these words from a Philippian jail. Excuse me, from a jail to the Philippians. He wrote the word joy and rejoicing about 16 times in this letter to the Philippians. Prisons of Paul's day were not like prisons today. No hot, cold, running water, and likewise. They were not a comfortable place or a joyous place to be in. And not many of us would ever want to be in one. Yet he instructed from there to rejoice. In 1 Peter 4.13, Peter wrote, But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exultation. Peter is telling us, even in sufferings, that we are to keep on rejoicing. He's assuming that we're rejoicing to start with, but now encounter sufferings, and maybe even more severe sufferings, and his instructions are to keep on rejoicing. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10, after describing a long list of his many difficulties and sufferings, his afflictions and hardships, his distresses and beatings, his imprisonments, his sleeplessness, his hunger, Paul writes this, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Even in sorrow, and in many sufferings, Paul was always rejoicing. Paul states in Colossians 1.24, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Paul rejoiced in his sufferings that benefited to build up Christ's church in Colossia and also everywhere else. He rejoiced in these sufferings. 
Now Luke, recorded, in recording what Jesus said in chapter 6, verse 22 and 23, which appears to be part of what Spurgeon was referring to earlier, Jesus said, Blessed are you when men hate you, when they ostracize you, when they insult you, and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. He says, Be glad in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. Through these hardships, we should be glad. So glad that Jesus said we should leap for joy. Why? Because we know what the eternal outcome will be. Even as we live through these difficulties, we know that they're only temporary. The eternal heavenly reward will vastly outweigh any of these earthly hardships. Peter in 1 Peter 1.6 writes, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. James 1.2 states, Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. Notice it says if you encounter a trial. It says when you encounter various trials. They'll be coming, and there'll be more than one, I'm sure. So when we encounter them, we are to count them all joy. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Verse 3 continues by saying, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance or patience. The testing of your faith produces endurance. And verse 4 says, let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. So trials come into our lives. They're not pleasant to go through, but they're here to test the validity of our faith, to strengthen our resolve in the faith, to produce endurance. And the outcome of these trials should bring us joy and assurance of our salvation and the perfect and completeness of our faith in lacking in nothing. They build us up in the faith. They make us more like Christ. And they will help us to comfort others who incur, who incur the same type of trials. Now this joy that I'm referring to is not the world's joy. The world's joy comes from earthly pleasures. From fleshly lusts. Prideful desires of earthly things. The world's joy is directly connected to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The world's joy is very temporary. It only satisfies for a moment, and it never gives any la lasting joy. The Christian's joy is not dependent upon any of the circumstances that we are in. As the previous verses that I've read have shown, this joy is abundantly present in suffering, in trials, in times of sorrow, in pain, in distress, in whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, even in prison like Paul. This joy is for those who believe and have been born again. It comes from our Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ. It is put into action by the Holy Spirit and a product of receiving the Scriptures and it is made greater 
and enriched by suffering and trials. This joy is the confidence in the sufficiency of Christ and what he's done, in the knowledge that God is sovereign and in control of everything. Everything that enters our lives is under God's control, and it's for our eternal good. 1 Peter 1.8 states, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you did not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. So what are some of the reasons for Christians to rejoice and to have this joy? Steve Massaro mentioned a few of them a couple of Sundays ago. One was, and we sung about it today a little bit, is God's righteous character. Who God is should make us joyful and rejoice. Him being all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present. What a source we have in knowing that. Christ's redemptive work on the cross. Faith in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. The fact that we are saved by grace through faith. How can we not be full of joy in such a great salvation? The work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Something else to rejoice about. The numerous blessings that God has bestowed upon us. God's providence as he works in our lives and in the world events even. God's promises that he's given to us, all of which are true and amen and not one will be broken. The Bible contains over 7,000 promises. God hearing and answering our prayers having the Holy Scripture, fellowship with other believers, having the gospel proclaimed and shared. These are just some of the reasons for us to rejoice always. Think about what we have. Think about how God has blessed us. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Verse 17, pray without ceasing, the second command here. Our prayers are to be continuous, constant, recurring, persistent, and regular. does not mean they'll be nonstop without a break, and it also doesn't mean that we're to be praying in repetition, repetition, repetition. But our prayers should be without an intermission. They should be without prayerless gaps. Pray without ceasing. Our prayers are to, to flow from our constant dependence upon our need and reliance upon our creator and maker. Prayer highlights our own insufficiencies and the necessity that we actually have on our sustainer God. We need him. Prayer should be a way of life for the believer. It should be an attitude that we are in as we view the world around us, as we see events, as we encounter people that God has put into our path. Some people we run across will be hurting. Our heart goes out for them. We can lift them up to the Father. We see some horrific event, car accident, injury, 
tornadoes hitting somewhere, of houses being wiped out, we can pray for these people. We suddenly face a complex problem or a confusing situation in our lives. We ask God for wisdom in dealing with it. We have an urgent or unexpected need that comes upon us. We ask God to meet that need. Maybe we experience an unexpected blessing even. We give thanks and praise to God for it, that he entered that into our lives. Prayer for us should be a way of life, a continuous communication with our Father throughout the day. We as Christians cannot always, cannot always be witnessing. We cannot always be teaching. We cannot always be visiting the sick. We cannot always be aiding the poor or exercising one of our spiritual gifts. But we can always be in prayer. We can always be in prayer. It goes with us everywhere we go. It's never far away. And it's there in everything we do. Philippians 4, 6 states this, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. In everything by prayer. In whatever we're doing, in everything, it should be like our heart beating, maybe like our lungs breathing. It should be ongoing. It should be like an open-ended conversation with our Heavenly Father. If there's an interruption or a pause, pick it right back up, right where you left off and continue it. Now, prayer itself is made up of and very inclusive of praise unto God, confession of our sins, the giving of thanks, making petitions, intercession for others, and submission unto God and his will. It's to be a constant, non-ceasing attitude that we carry throughout each day. Again, living in that constant communication and our connection with our Father. And why should we pray? What motivates us to pray? We pray to glorify God as Jesus has taught us to do. He says, hallowed be thy name. We approach God with that honor and we praise him. We long for fellowship with God. We thirst after him. We have needs to bring before him. Give us this day our daily bread. We ask his blessing upon things. We ask our blessing upon us and others. We need daily wisdom, so we ask for it, especially in the sinful world. We need help in times of distress, in times of healing, in times of worry, in times of fear. We pray for safety. We pray to give thanks to God for his many blessings, as we'll be doing more of, especially on Thursday this week. We pray to confess our sins, to restore our fellowship. We pray for the salvation of loved ones and friends. We pray asking for spiritual growth, both for ourselves individually and corporately. These are just a few of the things that should motivate us to pray and to pray without ceasing. Rejoice always, 
Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. In everything, give thanks. The unregenerate, the unbeliever, those who aren't saved, they're characterized by thanklessness. They're thankless people. In Romans 1.21, it states, For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Those who do not know God are thankless. They do not honor him. They do not give him thanks. In 2 Timothy 3.2, we read, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy. These unbelievers are described as being ungrateful, thankless. That's the trait or characteristic of the unsaved, the unbeliever. I'm pointing this out because in Ephesians, 5, 3 through 4, it states this. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. And there must be no filthiness or silly talk or coarse gesturing which are not fitting. But rather the giving of thanks. But rather the giving of thanks. We see here a contrast between a life of the unbeliever and that of the redeemed. It appears that the righteous life, the godly life, is summed up by a life of thankfulness and gratitude, the giving of thanks. We realize the goodness of God in our lives. We are filled to overflowing with thanks unto him. Paul continues in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 20, and states this, Therefore be careful how you walk, not as the unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another, in psalms and in hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart unto the Lord, always giving thanks for all things. We see here Paul's exhortation for us to be filled with the Spirit. And being so, it will produce conversations and songs of praise and joy in our hearts to the Lord. And what does that do? That leads us to always being thankful. It is how a spirit-filled person lives, a life characterized by always giving thanks for all things. What about the problems I have? What about the troubles, the difficulties I have in my life? Paul writes in Philippians 4, 6, I know you guys know most of these verses, but... Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. With these, not to be anxious, 
We're not to worry about the problems we have, the difficulties or the troubles. We're to pray about them. We ask God to help us with them and give thanks while making those requests. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Colossians 2, 6-7 says this, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed, and overflowing with gratitude. Believers who walk with the Lord, our pattern of life is after him, we're grounded in him, we're built up in him, a sure foundation of the faith in him and our lives should be characterized as overflowing with gratitude. Colossians 4.2 states, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with thanksgiving. Our lives are to be devoted to prayer. We mentioned before, praying without ceasing. Alert to what the needs are that we should pray for. We're to be alert in our prayers. But it's supposed to be coupled with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving needs to be attached to or linked to or bonded with our prayers. It is essential. Keeping alert in prayer with thanksgiving. In everything, give thanks. Believers are to be thankful to him in everything, no matter, no matter what it might be, outside of sin, of course, we are to give thanks. If we know and truly believe that all things work together for our eternal good, then we can, in everything, give thanks. And this should be the characteristic of every Christian's life. Romans eight twenty eight. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. God causes. God is absolutely sovereign. And everything that enters the life of a believer is there because God is at work making and molding you into what he wants you to be. Now, having a thankful heart as we live through this life, is, is, it's important in doing so that we overcome some of the difficulties in our lives. If we count our blessings habitually, if we count them continually, we can be content, we can be joyful, and even in the darkest moments of our lives will pull us through. Now, one of the benefits of a thankful and a grateful heart is not only it blesses us, but it also blesses others around us. It is a witness to others of what God has done and is doing in us. Especially when we have joy and thanks, when things around us are completely falling apart. When catastrophe hits, when the pain of this life seems unbearable. For we know everything under God is under God's control, and we know that all these difficult times are only temporal, and they're here for our good, so we can give thanks in everything. 
And in doing so, the child of God is giving living proof of a transformed life that reflects God's presence and his goodness and it brings him glory. Others will take notice of it. It will edify other believers. It will give witness to the unsaved around us also. Thanking God in everything manifests the spirit of a spirit-filled life that touches people around us, saved and unsaved alike. Verse 18 continues to say, For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And this refers to all three of these commands. What is God's will for you in Christ Jesus? Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. God wants us to be always joyful, always prayerful, always thankful. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Later this week, we'll be celebrating a national holiday of Thanksgiving. The world will be focused on food, football, and Black Friday sales most likely. Not that any of these are wrong in themselves or bad, but they can distract us from what our true attention should be, that of giving thanks to God. Let us not lose our focus. Let us not be distracted by other things. Most people during Thanksgiving will be a little more open to reflect on the blessings of family, of friends and health and material things. And this in itself might provide for us an opportunity to express what we are thankful for as Christians and what God has done for us personally. Let us be ready to give an answer to those who ask for the reason of the hope that is in us. Let's close in prayer. Father, help us to obey these commands. Help us to rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. For we know this is your will for us. Let these characteristics, Father, of our spirit-filled life be evidenced to others around us to give testimony to how great you are and how much you love us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.